0: This morning we're working out of the gospel according to St. John, chapter 10. Jesus is speaking. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, "'Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. "'All who came before me are thieves and bandits, "'but the sheep did not listen to them.' I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been coming this month, you know I've been raising questions all month, talking about key theological themes, things I think you need to know about me and what I believe and perhaps will challenge you to greater and deeper discipleship. The question this morning is, are we ready to follow? We read here from John what the very last phrase contains, one of my favorite verses ever. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love that. It's a a great summary of who Jesus is and what he's about and why he's come. I've used it as kind of a centering point for my own faith and my own ministry, always looking to see if the ministry I'm involved in and the way I interact with people is bringing abundant life. Am I raising people up? Am I encouraging them? Am I helping them? Are they experiencing a better life because they have encountered me and or us? I have come that they may have life, and have it abundantly. But what exactly is abundant life? What is Jesus promising or offering to us? That phrase is not used in scripture very much. In fact, when I went to look it up, I found it's not used anywhere else. This is it. And so it might be easy to bring our own ideas to this idea of abundant life or ideas or clues we get from other places and that might be confusing i think we really want to look at the text and see what jesus is saying and what that context is to make sure that we understand what he was talking about there are plenty of competing claims in our culture and in our day about what makes up the good life or the abundant life it was a few years ago we had a television set that one day was working great the next day it wouldn't turn on at all i did a little research Went to buy a new TV and decided to get one of those high-definition TVs that just come out. You remember that? It's supposed to be clarity. I mean, when if you were watching a football game, it's like, you're right there. They're coming right at you. It's sharper. It's greater. All right, I've got it. I take it home. I can't get it to work. <laughs> I call the cable company and say, hey, what's going on? It's, oh, you need to purchase this new cable. We have an upgraded package, and it'll cost you this and that. But you get all these extra channels. Well, I already had the TV, so I buy the upgraded package. And I realized we've got an explosion of channels on our hands. So on a couple of opportunities, I just sat there and flipped through the channel one after another just to see what was on TV. I did it in the evening. I did it during the day one time. I was shocked. (laughs) I was shocked with what's on TV all day long. You know, there are some channels that all day long are suggesting that the way to abundant life is to fulfill your carnal pleasures. That's it. That's the way. There's others that talk about the celebrities, some of them trashing the celebrities, others saying, oh, it's great to be a celebrity. We ought to all be like them. But the one that seemed to be on more different stations all during the day and night were shows that promised the good life through some kind of wealth-building system. Have you seen any of those? I mean, it might be online sales. It might be day trading of stocks. Just get this program, do what we say, and in two days you'll be a millionaire. It's going to be great. All kinds of different ways that that might happen in real estate or selling this, doing that. But it was interesting to me, by the end of every one of those programs, what they were offering was not just A lot of money, but what big bucks will buy? I mean, yachts and multiple houses and vacations. And yet what it finally all came down to in the end is that they were offering not only a life of comfort, but a life of ease. You don't have to do anything. You've made so much money. Everybody does it for you. I think Jesus would argue with that as a good life. I don't think that's what he's promising or offering to us in our text today. I want to look at three different places here, three different clues he gives us that I think will really help. The first clue to the meaning of abundant life as Jesus talks about it. Let's look at verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the gate, Jesus says. It is a promise that following Him will bring you to a place of provision for both your soul and your body. That God will provide for you. That if you will be a follower of Christ, God will meet your needs. It's a place of healing and hope. It's a place of salvation. It's a place of sustenance. This is not something the sheep can do for themselves. They do not provide their own pasture. Jesus says, God's going to provide that for you. I've, in fact, God says, giving you the gate. Jesus, come in here. It'll be a place of provision and salvation. So that's the first clue to abundant life, that God is doing something here for us and has sent us Christ as a way to get us to the right place. Then let's look at verse 10. The second clue comes when he says I came that they. I came that they. It doesn't say I came so that you but they. It's a plural. Jesus is talking about the whole community, the whole flock. When I went back and read across these few verses in this chapter I realized it's all talking about the herd. It's a sheep individual. No, it's a shepherd with a flock. It's they. It's the community. Apparently, Jesus is saying abundant life comes to us as a community, as a group. It's a community of faith. As Americans, so often we think about our salvation as just me and Jesus, or it's just God and me. That's not what John is saying, that Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The final clue we find in verse 11. Now, I didn't read verse 11, so let's look there. If you still have your Bibles open, just one verse before I quit. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says this in 11, but he repeats it in verse 15. He repeats it again in, in verse 17. And as I was working on the sermon, I realized we've got to have this verse too. Jesus is talking about giving his life for the sheep, for the herd. I am the good shepherd. He's coming to offer us his life, to lay down his life. All of a sudden, it, changes the tone of the whole passage all of a sudden we see in sharper contrast that his answer to abundant life is not the same as the cultures it's something different he's offering he's saying it's something different that God is offering we're in chapter 10 this morning but if you read on to 13 John tells in that chapter about the very last night, Jesus is with his disciples on earth. He tells the story a little differently. He says that Jesus takes out his outward garments and gets a basin and a towel and gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. It's the act of a servant. Well, you really could say it's an act of a slave. He's giving himself for the good of somebody else. He's taking on a different role than he would have to take on for the good of someone else. I think he's saying that abundant life comes in and through giving to and serving others. It's not the same answer that you get on most of the television stations. It's not the same answer that we can give for ourselves. Jesus is pretty clear here. You can't do this for yourself. This kind of abundant life God is offering you. You will experience it when you enter into life as Jesus did with God at the very center of your life. And that further means that it is a life lived with others. And it is a life lived for others. Did you see a recent Time Magazine article? It was the cover story, an issue. I, I said at the eight thirty 30 service, the most recent issue, someone came up afterwards and said, No, I got a new one Friday, so it's two issues ago. All right, two issues ago, Time Magazine. Cover story. I put the title, so if you want to look it up, it's in your outline there, How Service Can Save Us. It's a fascinating story about what's happening to our veterans when they come back from war in Afghanistan or Iraq, and they're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, what we used to sort of call shell shock. They have the trauma of war imprinted upon them, sometimes through physical injuries, Sometimes through psychological injuries, the article said, you wouldn't believe the numbers of people coming back with brain trauma, often with parts of their brains missing because of the conflict and the battles they were in and the toll it takes on them. But it said not only that, they get back and they're battling with that, but they also begin to experience a greater sense of isolation because normal, everyday civil society and what they went through, they're just hard to match up. They get more and more withdrawn. He said so many of them are suicidal. They can't find jobs. They're unemployed. They need help. And he said they're trying all kinds of different things to help them. But this author concluded after studying all these veterans organizations that are trying to help these war veterans that one thing is making more difference than others. You can guess what it is from the title, how service can save us. He says it's through community service. That these veterans are having troubles just staying alive and functioning at all. When they get in an opportunity where they can serve others, they get better. The author was so interested in this, he wanted to kind of embed with a group, with one of these organizations. So he signed up, and guess where they came to do their community service work? Oklahoma. A couple of weekends ago, they're in Moore, Oklahoma, doing disaster relief work. And he said, let me tell you what I saw. He said, you could just see these veterans' lives change. You could see it in their face and through their body language that all of a sudden they weren't so isolated that there was something bigger for them to do, and not only something to do, but that kind of teamwork that they had experienced in the military with a a unit of people that had gone through so many things together. All of a sudden, that brotherhood and sisterhood was back, and they were serving someone else, and so they could see that they're not the only ones suffering. There's other people that have pretty devastating circumstances as well, and they can make a difference. He said... That was changing their lives the opportunity the challenge to go and serve someone else and I thought well of course it's what Jesus taught us what Jesus lived before us 2,000 years ago Christians have been talking about this for a long time it's the way to abundant life is what the gospel says let me tell you a very different way to look at this a different illustration of how this works in American business. Do you know the name Joe Gerard? He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm going to read you a few things he said or written. See if you can guess what his profession is. He said this, If you learn anything today, it is to stay in one place and grow. Fifteen years, I stayed in one place. The longer you stay in one profession, the longer you'll grow. He says you better be proud of what you're doing. He writes, you've got to do three things with your customers and you will have business beyond your wildest dreams. Only three. Service, service, service. He wrote, I brand my name into people's brains the love way. Love. Love is the way. His motto was, I like you. He put it on his business cards. He put it in mailings. He would send a card that says, I like you on the outside. Open it up. It says, Happy New Year's. Next month, I like you. Open it up. Happy Valentine's Day. He said, I tried to love my customers. Joe was a car salesman. I bet you didn't guess that. During the 1960s and 1970s, year after year after year, he sold more than 1,000 cars a year. He says the average dealership then was selling 175 cars a year as a dealership. He's selling over 1,000 a year. He got in the Guinness Book of World Records because his best year, he sold 1,425 cars one at a time. He said, what I tried to do... Was to express to people not only did I want to sell them a car, but I really did care about them. I really did love them. And I I not only wanted them to buy a car from me, but I wanted them to have an experience of service when they brought that back to the dealership like no other. It's ironic, I think. Ironic that his strategy is to love his customers. I wonder where did he learn that? The church, perhaps. But this will tell you how my mind works. I'm reading about selling cars and Joe Girard and all of that. And I thought, what if we could do this with evangelism at Boston Avenue Church? What if we could reach 1,000 people a year for Christ? I mean, there's no church, no United Methodist Church in Oklahoma that's reaching 1,000 people a year. What if we decided we were going to do that? What if we recaptured that spirit of love and service and said, that's what we're all about at Boston Avenue. We're here to love people. We're looking for real needs, and we're going to serve them. We're going to meet them. We're going to change a life. It might change our lives. I think we could change other people's lives. In another gospel, I've put this in your outline too, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What if we recaptured that spirit and said, You know what? My faith is all about loving others. God has called me through Jesus Christ to be ready to get down on my knees and to serve others. What if we went out from this place looking for the people around us who might have a need, who might be hurting, who might be broken and say... God, what can I do? What can you do through me? How may I serve or share your love with them? What if we did that? What would God do among us? I began to think about this some more. I thought instead of talking about the unchurched, what if we talked about the underserved? Maybe we're underserving African Americans and Hispanics, and so we don't see as many among us. Maybe we're underserving young adults. We're singles, and that's why we don't see as many among us. So often we talk about the under church, and, and there's sort of a tone of it's their fault. What if we said, oh, maybe we have underserved? Maybe God wanted to use us, and we missed it. What if we weren't keeping God at the center? And looking for God's love to pour through us. And not leaving this place every Sunday looking for how we could serve in our own places of neighborhoods, work, recreation. In verse 7, Jesus tries a second time to make his point to them and says, I am the gate for the sheep. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh, let's commit to that. Let's recommit to that and recommit to that over and over again until God so transforms us that in fact we are the image of Christ to someone else. I pray that that might be true. Amen. And thanks be to God.